0: The local church has always thrived and been at its best when it has been bold. 117 years ago, seven men and their families took a bold step of faith and founded the Mount Church here in Stafford County. Even though the county at the time was kind of more or less just farmlands and dirt roads, they believed within their souls, that something, that God was going to do something big. Over the next several years, as the mount continued to grow, eventually reaching around 50 people, at which point these men, these families, decided to take another bold step of faith and build their first building. Fast forward to the 1940s and the 1950s. And with the expansion of Quantico Marine Base, the the Mount's influence and reach into the community entered a, a new phase. And again, the church took another bold step of faith when it decided to build a new, larger chapel to accommodate what God was doing in their midst. In the 90s, a new wave of advancement began when a new auditorium was built here for the Stafford campus. And then a decade later, a new kids' ministry space was built because the, the, the amount of children that were coming on a weekly basis, they were crowding, overcrowding the rooms, the space that they had, and then eventually with the launch of Fredericksburg and our El Monte campuses. For 117 years, despite the, the methods changing during that course of time, the message has remained the same, that we as a church exist To make a difference for one more. Everything we do has been about pointing people to the story, the life changing story that is the good news of Jesus, so they will hear it and experience his grace and forgiveness and love and mercy for the very first time. In fact, if you've been around for the amount any amount of time, you've heard us say this before, but those of you that are new, just so you know, we say we exist to make a difference for one more. It's all of our prayer life goes towards this idea. All of our passion, all of our energy, all of our creative planning, all of our strategy, the way we manage our finances and steward what God has given us, it all is geared towards this idea that we exist as a church to make a difference for one more. We long for, desperately pray for, hope for people who are far from God, who don't have a relationship with Him, to come to saving faith in Him. And then for those of us that have saving faith in Him, we long For we pray for that we make a difference by going deeper and deeper and deeper into our faith on a consistent basis. And for those of us that are growing in our faith, we pray that we would make a difference by being sent out into our communities and all over the world to share the story of Jesus with others. It's why we exist. And so today we're beginning as we kick off our Together campaign. Here's what I have been praying for you, and I just wanna be as forward with you as I can. Over the last 13 to 15 months, I have been praying for this moment. Today marks the defining moment in the life of our church. And I have been praying that as we go through the next 30 days, and then the next several years, That what God is going to do in and through us, when we look back, when we reflect back on what happened in our lives and the impact in our community and the world all around us, my prayer is that it will be a spiritual marker that what happened during this Together campaign will be a defining moment, not only in the life of our church, but in your lives individually and for all of us collectively to look back and say, what happened only happened because of what happened during that Together campaign. Because, and I don't know if you've caught this in Scripture, those of you that read it regularly, but it seems to me like when I read Scripture, God loves to do the impossible in situations that we as human beings think are impossible. You see this over and over again in Scripture. In fact, when Paul is referencing the church in Ephesus, he writes to him this way. He says this, and remember, it says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power. He's talking to the church and he says, it's not through your creative genius. It's not through your use of lights. It's not through your strategy. It's not through this or that or the way you do it. No, it's through his power at work within us. What is his power working in us? It accomplishes what? Infinite. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. So he tells him that good news and then he tells him this, and I love this. He says, glory to him and the church. And in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, what he's saying there is he's saying God is going to work through his power and his might work in us when we lean into him, and he's going to move in such a way that something more magnificent than we could ever ask or imagine will happen, and it will cause what happens in the church to be for his glory. Because I don't know if you know this, but it seems like to me God loves to show off his glory and his power through the local church. He loves to take situations, we see it all throughout scripture, situation after situation where God's people are up against what seems impossible, overwhelming, insurmountable odds and God just shows up and does the miraculous. You see this in some of your lives as you are living examples of this. You see moments where we, we we hear a story about a marriage that is it's, it's over and it's dead and it has no life and no intimacy and there's just no way they're ever going to get through this and it's ultimately going to end a divorce. But then all of a sudden God does the impossible. You see this in relationships. Maybe it's a relationship we have with our our son, our daughter, or one we have with our parents or a sibling or somebody in our lives, and the relationship is just so strained and dead that there's no way we will ever move past what happened. There was too much heartache and too much pain and too much brokenness, but God steps in and does the impossible and completely changes hearts. We see this when we celebrate baptism. We see people who enter a water... And they're publicly proclaiming that I was once dead and lost. And look what God did, the impossible. I have the privilege of seeing this each and every week. As the end of the service, I always ask people to to pray and I ask them if you wanna receive Jesus as your savior, raise your hand and I have the privilege every single week of seeing people through tears in their eyes raise their hand as they cry out to God for forgiveness and salvation from their sins for all of eternity. God does the impossible even still to this day. He loves to show off his glory. And this morning, maybe you just need to hear that. Maybe you're going through something right now in your life and we'll just pause for a minute. Maybe you're going through something in your life right now and it feels like you're up against the wall and it feels like that relationship is over, that friendship is dead, that significant other, whatever it is, the relationship, the job, whatever it is. And you're just like, man, this this isn't gonna work out. I look at the books and it doesn't make sense and this is just completely impossible. And let me just remind you as we begin this Together campaign that God is in the business of doing the impossible. And he does it for his glory in his name. In fact, I would argue that God loves to do the impossible so much that the very fact that we are gathered here today this morning is evidence of a God who does the very same thing. If you think about it, we shouldn't be here. The the local church should not exist Right. If you, if you think about it, the local church, as we gather and we worship and we open Scripture and we do community and life together, it should not exist as an organism, as an organization in our world, because it had one of the most unlikely beginnings of all beginnings. In fact, if you take a look at the final words of Jesus said, this is where we find sort of the beginning of what is the story of the local church. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says this. Then Jesus came to them. He gathers his 11 followers, the the disciples that are left, and he says to them, and he's going to say something, and watch what he says to them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And otherwise, Jesus is saying, I have supremacy. I have preeminence. I am in charge. I have all authority. I have all the power, and it has been given to me. And he says, therefore, because of my power, because of my spirit, because of my ability, therefore, you are to go and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to pause. He doesn't say some nations. He doesn't say Israel. He doesn't say just people in the Middle East. No, he says, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what theologians would call the the great Commission. It's a commission, it's a statement, it's instructions, it's a command that Jesus is giving his original followers. He is telling them something that they are supposed to do. He is saying, you guys who have decided to follow me, my disciples, your mission, your commandment, your instructions, what I'm commanding you, commissioning you to do is you were to go out into all the world and you were to tell them about me. The good news that is my story, my life, my death, my resurrection and you are to ask them to repent and believe and then you are to disciple them and baptize them and then send them out to do it again over and over and over again. Now it's a great commission cause it's pretty big, right? Like Jesus didn't say, Hey, 11 guys, just kind of go to this city. Like he's gathering 11 guys and he says, I want you to go to all the nations. And the irony and maybe the the humor behind Jesus gathering these guys to tell them to go do this great big mission commission thing is that the guys he's gathered are the most unlikely guys that you would ever expect to fulfill what he asked them to do. He didn't gather together the kings and the princes and the royalty and and the generals and all the people who would have the power and the influence in their first century Palestinian culture. No, he gathers together, his original followers, if you remember the stories, he gathers together the fishermen, the doctors, the tax collectors, the hated, despised people. And he says, you guys go into all the world and make disciples. That seems pretty impossible. And then 10 days later, they're gathered together in a room praying. And the Holy Spirit arrives. And Peter, maybe one of the least likely to do this, stands up. And we read in Acts that Peter stands up and he just begins preaching boldly, telling people the story of the good news that is Jesus. And we're told in scripture that 3,000 people respond and surrender their life to Jesus. And the local church is born. And then what you see is believer after believer, faithfully, boldly, obediently stepping into this mission, this commission, this great thing that God has called them to do. And they're boldly sharing their faith, boldly making disciples, boldly baptizing people, boldly sending out more, this reproducing that's happening over and over again, boldly doing these things. And what started with this this group of 11 after just 10 years grows into what most theologians and scholars would say, a group of around 20,000 people. And then through the work of people by the name of Paul and other missionaries, This story, this impossible thing begins to move from kind of this first century Palestinian Jerusalem area and it begins to go into Rome and to Turkey and to Greece and all these other neighboring nations. And what you see is, what you see is this movement that began with what the Roman Empire would consider to be the backwoods, the backwater area of the world that no one wanted to live to that was full of deserts and no one wanted to be there. You see these people who began with 11 people in a backwater, backwoods area of the country, all of a sudden, the very emperor of the Roman Empire surrenders his life to Jesus. And the history of the world has changed. And since then, for thousands of years, every local church has taken its opportunity in its moment, in its space in history, to faithfully, boldly continue that mission of making disciples all over the world. Until you reach us today, 2,000 years later, and 2.5 billion people in our world have surrendered their life to the name of Jesus. It was the impossible. And here we are now. And the question for us is, we've been passed the baton from those that have gone before us. We've been tasked with as the local church of shepherding this moment for God's kingdom and his redemptive history. It is our moment and our time. And the question is, what will we do with the opportunity or the moment that we have? It would be very easy for us as a church to, to look around and at all that we have and just kind of, all that we've accomplished over the years and all that we've been blessed with and just kind of decide like, this isn't that bad. Like we've done, we've done okay. Like we've done all right. Things are going pretty well. Each and every year we're reaching new people. We're seeing all kinds of people come. In fact, just this last year alone in 2023, we had 2,500 first-time guests between all of our physical campuses and thousands more online. We are reaching people. We are making a difference for one more. They're coming into our doors. They're interacting with us. It's okay. In fact, our, our kids' ministry This past year, it was the largest. We have more kids each and every week in our kids' ministry than our church has had in its 117-year history. Every single week, hundreds and hundreds of kids, you can clap for that. Every single week, hundreds and hundreds of kids are being told about the love story of Jesus and how he loves them and longs to know them and they're growing deeper in their faith and our kids are actually praying for missionaries. They're learning about Papua New Guinea. They are learning about local service and they are growing in their faith and being discipled in new ways. As a church, last year alone, We gave half a million dollars away to local and global missions, half a million dollars of money towards helping people in need in our local communities and all across the world. We sent money to people who were struggling with food insecurity, people who were debating, do I need to abort this baby or what do I do? And they're going to pregnancy centers and we're resourcing them, we're helping them. We're not just our financial investment, but countless thousands of hours of our people as a church volunteering at these organizations, serving their neighbors, serving their community, serving their city, being the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around them. And you think globally, we are literally, you just heard from Jason, we are literally helping a new people group learn the story of the Bible for the very first time. Last year, We had almost 200 people publicly declare in baptism that Jesus did the impossible in their life. Last year, we had the privilege, our prayer team had the privilege of talking to around 70 or so or over 70 individuals who raised their hand and then had a conversation about surrendering their life to Jesus and being saved for all of eternity it would be very easy for us to see all that we've done and say, this seems okay. We're doing all right. Let's just rest. Let's just take it easy. But that's not us. That's not the Mount. That's not our history. We are not the type of people who settle. We are not the type of church that settles. Why? Because as a church, we will never be satisfied with the 99. Why? Because Jesus was never satisfied with the 99. Jesus was never satisfied with the 99. We see this all throughout scripture, but there's this incredible section of Luke chapter 15 where there's three stories about things that are lost. And one of the stories is at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, and I want to read this with you because I think it speaks to the heart of Jesus. And his heart is really the heart of the local church. It says this, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? I don't know. What will he do? Tell us, Jesus. He says, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus says, Listen, my heartbeat is the 99 matter and they're important. But what about the one? Because Jesus recognized something that every single one of us who make up the local church at some point in our life, we were the one we were the one that was lost we were the one that was astray we were the one that was fallen we were the one that was broken and somewhere along our spiritual journey and God's redemptive history someone in some way shared with us the story that is the good news of Jesus and it changed us and the problem is sometimes we become the 99 and we settle and we get complacent and we take it easy forgetting that we were lost one time and we were the one and as a church We will never be complacent with the 99. We will always seek after the one we exist to make a difference for one more. And this is our opportunity. And the question is, what will we do with it? One of the the things I've been wrestling with lately, and just I'll I'll kind of open up during this series some, some insights into my life. One of the things I've been wrestling with is I've been thinking through this quote in my mind over and over is the decisions that we make as a church today affect thousands of people for generations to come. It's enough that the decisions we make today affect thousands of people today, but the decisions we make as a church today affect thousands of people for generations and generations to come. I don't know about you, I don't want to be a church that settles. I recently, about 13 months ago, I, got a, I was reading through Deuteronomy, and in chapter one, uh, there's a weird, uh, Moses is about to give three speeches to the, to the Israelite people. He's reflecting back on his leadership and his life uh, of all the time they spent with him, and he's about to pass the baton to Joshua. And he's reflecting back, and the first speech he gives, he says something really fascinating, and I'll just give you some insight into this. It says this, he's reflecting back on their time when they were in the desert, and they were wandering. And they were camped outside of Mount Horeb, and you can see it there. They were camped there, and they were there for about 15 months. And it says this, the Lord our God said to us at Horeb. And so Moses is reminding them of what God said when they were there. He says, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and what? What are they supposed to do? Let's try this again. Break camp and what? One more time. Break camp and? He didn't say stay there. You're comfortable. You've done a lot. No, he said, break camp and advance. And where did he tell them to go? He told them to go in the hill country of the Amorites. He also told them to go to all the neighboring peoples in Arabah, into the mountains, into the western foothills, into the Negev, and along the coast to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon as far as the great river the Euphrates. In essence, he told them, you have settled here long enough. You have stayed in your comfort long enough. Break camp and advance into the neighboring countries where they do not know me. And I read this. And it wrecked me because I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to be a church that's just stuck camping outside of Horeb. I want to be advancing into the neighboring places, the neighboring countries where people who don't know him. I want God to do more than I could ever ask, dream, or imagine. And so in light of that, I wanna share with you this morning, we are launching what we are calling our Together Campaign. And so there's a series that's gonna follow this, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But over the course of our Together Campaign, and I'm just gonna be very honest with you and upfront, our goal is, and I'm gonna cast some vision on this, but our goal is over the next three years, we want to raise an additional $7 million above and beyond our normal operating budget. We we wanna lean in and be bold And take steps of faith, trusting that God is going to do some impossible things in and through us as the local church. Why? Because the local church has always thrived and been at its best when it's been bold. And so what are the things we're going to do with the $7 million? First, if you're taking notes, we're going to expand our campuses. Here at the Mount, we are one church in multiple locations. We have multiple campuses. We have our Stafford campus, our Almonte campus, our Fredericksburg campus, and our online campus. And we believe that instead of being a church that builds one massive building and expects 3,000 or 4,000 or 5,000 people to come to it, and we gotta deal with parking and a $20 million mortgage and all the AC and heating and all the things, we would much rather build smaller gospel hubs that reach into communities where people don't have to drive 45 minutes to get somewhere, where they can drive 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, minutes and they can invite their neighbors and they can be serving locally right where they are and we can do that much cheaper than building big buildings that have to be maintained all the time so we as a church believe that in order for us to go after the one in order for us to make a difference we are going to launch campuses into areas where people who are far from God might not have a church like the mount now our goal is by the year 2030 to launch three new campuses we want to be bold and take some big steps of faith And we have ideas of where those campuses might be, places we're targeting, places we're thinking about. But we're also trying to be open-handed and see what the Lord brings to us. And as we plant those campuses, we're also going to be open-handed and plant as many micro-sites as the Lord wants for us. And I know, like, I've been in church ministry long enough. I've been in the audiences even before that. And I know what some of you might be thinking right now. So let's let's just acknowledge some of us that are not... Not critical, we have a, a lean towards criticism, maybe. You might be thinking, okay, I, I get it, pastor. You, you just want to be bigger. No. Launching campuses is not about us being bigger. Sure, I, I think we will grow. Why? Because healthy things grow. All throughout 2,000 years of history, when the local church is healthy, it grows. Why? Because the message of God is so attractive and so life transforming and countercultural that when it's done in a healthy way, people flock to it. They can't resist it. But here's our goal. Our goal is not to be, grow big. Our, grow, our goal is to be faithful to the mission that God has given us, to make disciples, to make a difference for one more. And if he continues to bless us with reach and influence, we will continue to lean into that until he stops. We want to plant three new campuses by the year 2030. That's going to cost us, we think, around $4.7 million. And so we're raising that. The second bucket is we want to eliminate some of our debt. We want to eliminate some of our debt. As a church across all of our campuses, we have $1.3 million in debt right now. Most of that debt is on the Stafford campus. It is for some of the areas that we built 15, 20 years ago. And we want to eliminate that debt to free up that money in our annual operating expenses. And you say, how much money is it? That $1.3 million in debt comes out to be about $300,000 a year in payments in our operating budget. To put that in context, 6% of our budget is going towards that debt payment every year. 6% of money that we could use if we pay off our debt, used towards more kingdom-minded, bold, overreaching new initiatives that God might have for us. And we want to be able to have the freedom and the flexibility to step into those moments when God asks us. So that's 1.3 million of the 7 million. And the third bucket is we want to do some campus expansions and renovations to our existing campuses. And this is about a million dollars, and I won't go into all the details of this, but this has to do with kind of updating some equipment and updating some areas, some of our student spaces, some of our uh, our different environments, but it also has here on the Stafford campus, because of the, the parking lot situation we have, we want to bring a whole new kind of south entrance lobby here where we have another guest services desk so that no matter what door you come in, you run into it, we want to create some space for families instead of having to feel like you have to talk in the hallway there'll be some couches and some chairs where you can sit down and have a conversation with someone and get to know them while your kids are doing their crazy thing and you can ask them how their day was and all those different things we want to create space where community can happen now seven million dollars over three years above and beyond our normal operating giving (laughs) I know what you're thinking Adam that seems impossible I know, but God does the impossible. God loves, God loves to do, he loves to do infinitely more than we might ask, think, dream, or imagine for his glory. Now, here's the deal. It takes all of us together. In fact, our our number one goal for this as we seek to raise $7 million is this, 100% engagement. We want every single person who calls the mount their home to be engaged in some level or another. And what that means, and we'll unpack this in week three, but here's what that means. That means when we seek 100% engagement, that means that there will be, all of us can do something. And you'll see these on the screen. All of us can do something, and some of us can do more, but a few of us can do the unthinkable. I believe with everything in me, when it comes to what we're gonna go through as we go through this Together campaign is that every single one of us has the ability to do something if we are open-handed and ask the Lord what he has for us. But there are gonna be some of us because of where we are, our phase in life, our situation in life, where our financial health happens to be, we will probably be able to do more. And I'm hoping that God speaks to us in those moments and we do. And then there's gonna be a few of us that we're gonna do the unthinkable. Because the season we are in in life, we're ready to leave that legacy gift and do what seems impossible. Here's what I know. The local church has always thrived and been at its best when it has been bold. God did not give us a small mission. His mission was not for some to know about him. It was for all the nations, all the people, people's lives and eternities hang in the balance. This is a big mission. And because it's such a big mission, it requires this tremendous amount of spiritual boldness on our part. It's the kind of mission that isn't accomplished by like small thinking and closed fist. It's the kind of mission that requires kingdom minded, big dreaming, bold thinking, risk-taking people who lean into God and open their hands and just say, God, use me in whatever way you want, and I will follow and go just like the thousands of years of people who have come before me to get me to the place I am now. God, the local church, not just local church, but God's people have always thrived and been at their best when they have been bold. Scripture is full of this. You see the example of God's people when they're in Israel and they're in slavery and Moses leads them out into the desert and they're riding their way, walking their way towards the Red Sea and they get to this place where they're up against the Red Sea and they look behind them and there's all these Egyptians and it seems impossible. They say, there's no way we can cross this Red Sea. We're gonna die, they're gonna trap us here. And then all of a sudden Moses stands and the Red Sea parts. God did the impossible. (laughs) But don't miss this, the people of God still had to take the bold step of faith onto that dry land. Not knowing, are we going to get halfway in the water's cave? You see this again after 40 years of wandering in the desert when the Israelites are finally going to the land of Canaan, the place that is theirs. And they arrive at the River Jordan, and it's overflowing. It's at flood stage, and it's a mess, and it's chaos. And they're like, we're never going to make it. We should just go back to the desert and live there another 40 years. This is over. And the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant step into the water, and the moment their toes hit it, the water begins to stop in a wall, and it's holding it back. But the people of God still had to take that step of faith. One final example. You see this in the New Testament when Jesus finds his original 12 followers, and he says, follow me into something that is unknown and quite honestly seems impossible. And they have to decide, do I hold on to my livelihood and my comfort, or do I take the bold step of faith and drop the net? And then my favorite example of Maul is found in the New Testament. It's two guys by the name of Peter and John. And I just want to read you. This is from Acts chapter 4, verse 5 through 13. Peter and John have been arrested for healing someone of all things. It says, the next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. It says, Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. So this religious council's meeting to discuss what's about to happen and what happens. Go ahead. It says, they brought in the two disciples. This is Peter and John. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. What does he say? He said, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you wanna know how he was healed? He says, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation and no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So he says all this, right? He tells us religious leaders this. Now, I need your participation. The bold words, because they're bold. The members of the council were what? They were amazed. Why? Because they saw the they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They're amazed at this boldness for they could see that they were what? What were they were? Ordinary. They were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. They were amazed at how bold they were being just ordinary people. And then they also recognized that they had what? Men who? Let me unpack. This is my favorite passage in all of scripture. One of them. Like, let me explain what's happening. Peter and John boldly Proclaim the story of Jesus, and the people around them are amazed at their boldness. They are, they are attracted to like how, how are they doing this? They're so bold, I can't believe it. And they're amazed by it. Why? Because they were ordinary men. In Greek, that word is idiotes. It means idiots. Like, it literally means idiots. So these men are amazed at the boldness of Peter and John, because in their mind, this is just a big group of idiots. How could they do this? And then they realized, they've been with Jesus. Here's my prayer. As we go through this next month, and then the years after that, that we would be the type of church, because of together, that people around us, not just us, but people around us would be amazed at our boldness. Because we were just normal idiots who leaned into Jesus. And so here's where we're going. As a four-week series. And I, I don't normally do this because I know you guys have really crazy schedules, but I'm gonna ask as best as you can during this series to kind of be here every single week because each week sort of builds on the week before it. And at the end of the series, or actually during the series, we'll have a booklet for you, and you can actually go online to to themount.org slash together, or there's a QR code on the seat back in front of you. You can scan that, and you can get information on our website. We've got a video for you about this campaign. There is also a 21-day prayer devotional where I encourage you for the next 21 days as a church, lean in and follow along with us as we seek the Lord and what He may have for us. In fact, I would personally invite you, our staff, the staff of all of our campuses, starting Monday, we're going to be fasting for the next three days. If you want to fast with us personally, go ahead and do that. We're going to fast and seek the Lord for asking Him to do the impossible and to do more than we could ever ask or imagine or dream over the next month. And then on February 25th, we're going to gather back together on that final Sunday of the, of the series. And I'm going to ask you to pledge. I'm going to ask you now to be thinking about that moment, to spend the next 30 days, and here's what I'm asking, opening your hands and your heart and seeking the Lord and asking him, what part do I have in sacrificing for together? The local church has thrived when it has been bold. So here's the question. Will you join us in seeking the Lord as we move forward together. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that, you're, that you are in charge of the local church. God, we are so thankful that you are a God who is bold and big. And God, you have a heart for every single person, not just the 99. God, I pray that we would be a church that mirrors you in our faithfulness to your scripture, in our faithfulness to worship you, in our faithfulness to point all glory to you and not ourselves. God, as we move through together, we pray for our church. We pray knowing that we stand on the shoulders of generations of people who have come before us, And this is our moment. And we lean in. As we continue praying, maybe you're here in all of our campuses, and you would say, let me just just kind of unpack the boldest thing you could ever do. Decide to follow Jesus. You would say, man, I don't even know the story of Jesus. How can I decide to follow him? Let me just, as quickly as I can, tell you 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born the Son of God. He lived 33 years of his life completely sinless, perfect, holy, humble. He was admired by everyone who knew him deeply, but the religious leaders hated him because of his piety and his religious devotion to his father. And he died for you. He died for your sins. And if you don't like that word, he died for your selfishness. He died for your mistakes, your failures, your intentions. He died and took the punishment of hell for you. And three days later, He rose from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating the grave. And by calling out to Him and confessing Him as your Savior and Lord, you too can have new life. And it is the boldest decision you will ever make. And you're not here by accident. Today may be the day that you are the one that He is calling to. So across all of our campuses, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if that's you this morning and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, would you just be bold and raise your hand right where you are? I see your hands. If your hand is raised, I want you to pray with me. Father, I am a sinner. I need your love. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new, be my king and my Lord. Today, I surrender my life to you. Amen.